Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe. Now what? What is going on, everybody? I hope you're all having a wonderful one out there. Welcome back to another episode. If this is your first time here, I Believe Now What is a podcast just geared towards the Christian, and we're talking about Christian topics. We go over verses, we do Bible studies, we cover different types of doctrines, and we talk about things that are relevant in the world today and how that applies to the Christian. Even if you are not a Christian and you are listening, I welcome you to stay in here and listen and just get some understanding. And I I won't lie, my hope is that you come out of it as a Christian. So, in today's episode, we are wrapping up our little three-episode mini-series that we did on what does the Bible say about marriage, divorce, and singleness. And this being the last episode, obviously, we're going to talk about singleness. So, singleness in the Bible is just a topic that's not talked about much. Also, if you do want to go back, by the way, real quick and listen to those other episodes, uh, a lot of the stuff that we'll say today may, may make more sense. But if you are just listening to this episode, because maybe singleness is a topic that you are just curious about, or maybe this was something you generally were interested in, uh, by all means, you don't have to go back and listen to the other ones uh, to really gain an understanding. But like I always say, in everything that I do, it's always best to keep things in context. So continuing on with that, singleness is a topic that just really isn't talked about too much. We see so many different sermons or messages when it comes to, uh, I won't even say sermons. I, I would say more so advice on the internet. You see blogs, you see all these things, you see conferences, you see uh, things just generally geared towards the married couple, you know, how to operate as a married couple, how to keep yourself from divorce, how to pretty much operate in that type of lifestyle. But you rarely ever see things talked about the single person. And I'm not meaning the single person as in the person who's currently single and wanting to get married. I'm talking about a single person who wants to stay single. That's what the, I guess I should have defined that right off the bat. Um, but really the person who wants to stay single. What is that about? There are people, believe it or not, because I know the majority, I'm sure, don't feel this way, but there are people that truly just want to stay single for the rest of their lives. They have no desire to get married. They don't feel like they need that companionship in their life. And let's just be real here. They're able to suppress and ignore sexual desires. And we're actually going to go over that a little bit as we go through. So, just as we have for most of these episodes, we're really going to be digging into 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you've listened to the previous two episodes, then you know that 1 Corinthians chapter 7 was an entire chapter dedicated to the topics of marriage, divorce, and singleness. So, uh, this being the last episode, once again, going on singleness. And we're going to jump right in now as we lay this out. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 is where we're going to start off at. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. All right, we're going to stop right there because that's already a loaded statement. So first, we need to keep this verse in context. As I always say, context, 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 it matters. Um, we need to understand why the Apostle Paul said this. Because if you look at this just w without really gaining any context to it, and you just saw this one snap snapshot of a verse, you could be like, what? P Paul's saying that we shouldn't, a, a man shouldn't be with a woman? Like, wait, what, what's going on here? So few things, four things really. So one, in these times uh, when this letter was written, it was almost unheard of 
for people to be single. Pretty much everyone in these days was married for the most part. In today's world, obviously, that's not as common. It's still marriage is still a very common thing in our society, but it's not as common to see single people living a life without ever getting married. Uh, But back then, pretty much unheard of. Point two, in this verse, this first verse we just read, we see that the church in Corinth, that's who Paul was addressing and writing to, the church in Corinth wrote Paul a letter asking questions. They had a whole bunch of questions that they wanted addressed, and they wrote him a letter on it. And Paul is addressing that. We see that when he says, now concerning the things about which you wrote. Seems pretty explanatory, but we have to keep that in mind. These guys had some specific questions. Now, what were those questions? Well, the fact of the matter is, is we truly don't know. That letter was lost to history. It is lost in time. But what we can decipher out of these statements that we're about to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, especially, we can get a good idea of some of the questions that they had. Uh, And if you try to piece some of it together, you can see that they obviously had questions about marriage, singleness, and divorce. And among those topics, I truly believe singleness was one of the issues that Apostle Paul addressed because during this time, you can almost picture it like Paul goes down to the church in Corinth, you know, he sets it up, he establishes it, he teaches them a bunch of things. And then they dwell on that and they dwell on his letters and his writings. And they're like, oh man, I got a lot of questions on this. And Paul might be making something sound like, because there was another letter written. Well, that gets into a whole nother debate, but we'll talk about that later. But you can see their reasoning saying, oh, maybe Paul wrote to them or talked to them about, you know, how being single is a good thing. Maybe they took that way out of hand saying we should never get married. Or maybe they thought it was just strange to stay single, go to the opposite side of the spectrum. The fact of the matter is we truly do not know. So we can only guess at this. But many scholars do believe that debates were going on on whether you should or should not get married. There was some type of confusion there. Uh, Point number three, based off all that we just said, to keep this in context, I want to make sure when Paul wrote, it is not good for a man to touch a woman, he's not saying here, don't get married. Once again, refer to the first two points for context. He's not saying don't get married. What he seems to be saying, in my opinion, based off everything that I've read, he's saying it's not a bad thing to be single. That's what it sounds like he's saying. Or you don't have to get married if you don't want to. Point number four, uh, and this is more of a, a word study type deal, but the word touch here, where it says it's not good for a man to touch a woman, You know, it may be somebody who's never read through the Bible before. They might not know what touch is meaning or implying here. They might think like, like touch, like, you know, you're poking with your finger or something like that. No, Uh, what he's referring to here is pretty much sexual relationships. Uh, the, The Greek word here is kind of ambiguous because it doesn't specifically say sex, but that's the connotation, connotation, connotation. Am I saying that right? That's pretty much what Apostle Paul is trying to get at here. He's trying, he's referring to sex. He's saying it's, it's good for a man if he doesn't want to have sex with a woman. And once again, to keep all that in mind, Paul is specifically referring to sex when you are already married within the confounds of marriage, because if it wasn't, then obviously everything that Paul wrote after that would be really hypocritical. Once again, 
keeping everything in context is important. Don't ever just, little sidebar here, but don't ever just read one verse and say, bam, I got it. Read what comes before, read what comes after. And really, I mean, what it, and I know a lot of people don't have the time to do this, but it's a good thing to do. Read about the culture in which that letter was written to. Read about, you know, if you're reading Corinthians, read about the Corinthian culture. You can look in history books. It's all over the place. City of Corinth was not a small place, and there's many things recorded in history about it. In fact, they even know where the old city is. You can see everything and where it was because the old city was evacuated. That gets into a history lesson, and I'm not trying to make this a (laughs) two-hour episode once again. But overall, important thing after (laughs) saying all that. Uh, We see the Apostle Paul is affirming that if you want to be single, it is not a bad thing. So let's go ahead and dive into these verses now. So let's go ahead and jump down to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 39, because this is a large chunk of what Paul writes on the topic of singleness. So once again, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 39, if you're taking notes. And I'm going to stop as we go and give a few highlights. Uh, I, I would love to break this down verse by verse, like super long, but it would, like I said before, it would take like three hours. So we're not going to do that today. If that's something you're interested in, by all means, hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, we can go ahead and maybe accommodate that at some point in time in the future. Anyways, digressing on, uh, a few key things here to take down for Once again, context, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record right now, but as we read this, especially uh, uh, just coming right off, number one, Paul is writing this as a single person. So he's writing these letters as a single person. Now, if you listen to episode one, you probably already know this, but the apostle Paul, uh, many scholars believe that he was married at some point because he was a Pharisee and Pharisees were for the most part, pretty much required to be married. It was just the way things were. Now, whether or not he was truly married, we don't know because the Bible doesn't say. And if he was married, we don't know what happened to his wife if he hadn't had one. Whether she died or she left him upon his conversion to Christianity, uh, we don't know. The Bible just simply doesn't say on this topic. So once again, that's all conjuncture. That's all pretty much just trying to put pieces together. Point number two, Paul is a, and you're going to see this throughout here. Paul is a huge proponent of staying single. He is all about that single life. And when I say that, I mean that in a very godly way. Uh, He is huge on being single, but he's also careful to know that all people don't have this ability to stay single. Um, and, and that's in the context specifically about sexual desires. If you remember, we were reading before when he was talking about when somebody's uh, husband died or uh, something like that, you know, uh, the widow, it would be good for her to stay single. But if she can't, she should get married because it's better to be married than to be single. And the words he uses burn with passion. Uh, in other words, have these deep desires that you're just trying to suppress because it's going to one day eventually come out and explode and it's probably going to explode in in a bad way. So you're going to see, like I said, he's a huge proponent of staying single, but you need to have that extreme willpower or that ability to be free from sexual desires if you're going to operate in that. And some would even call it, and I kind of almost am in this camp, some would call that a gift of God, like the gift of celibacy. Uh, God takes away those desires. 
Um, but once again, I don't want to diminish that it could be willpower as well. God granting you that willpower to suppress it. Continuing on, if you wish to be single pretty much in point number two, uh, but yet you still desire that sexual relationship, then you should get married, just like we talked about. So moving on now, finally, to our main chunk of passage. Once again, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 39 reads like this. Now, concerning virgins... I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. So right there, Paul is making it clear that he never received any special instructions from God on this topic. He never had any teachings that he was commanded to give out on this. So what he does do is he say, I'm going to go ahead and give my own opinion and my own views on this matter because I see it to be something important. That's essentially what he's saying. Picking it back up on verse 26, he says, I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. And you can flip flop this into a woman to remain as she is and so forth and so on. Uh, In other words, what he's saying, it's good to stay single. It's good if somebody wants to stay single. Now, I want to highlight something he says at the beginning there in verse 26 or really in the middle where he says, the present distress. I think it is good in the view of the present distress. What does he mean by that? Um, So many scholars, and I've done some deep research into this, many scholars have a lot of different opinions on what this could possibly mean. The, The gist of the two really are, one, he was saying this because believers in that time It's not like America is today. It's not like some other countries that have freedom uh, is today. Christians were persecuted. Christians were persecuted. They uh, had to hide. They had to conduct their worship sometimes in private. They were looked down upon. It was not an easy task like it is today in some privileged countries to be a Christian. So some believe he's saying, you know, it's better to just not get married because of all the stress that's going on right now and all the persecution. Now, another side would say, and I'm more in favor of this side, uh, would be Paul really believed, and you can kind of see this in some of his other writings, Paul truly believed that Christ was coming back soon. And when I say soon, he is coming back soon. But when I say soon, I mean like in possibly in his lifetime soon. And he goes on to kind of explain that in some of these other verses. Um, but I do want to be clear here. Just because the Apostle Paul assumed that these uh, end of times were, were, were very soon does not mean he knew the exact date. Jesus made it clear that no man knows the day or the hour of when that's going to happen. The Lord's just saying, be ready. It's going to happen. And in that light, because Christ's second coming is going to happen soon, it might just be better to not get married. So continuing on. Verse 27, Paul writes, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Or or in other words, he's saying, if you're already married, don't try to get out of your marriage because of this. Don't. I'm not telling you to do that. Stay married if you're married. Continuing on, he says, are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. In other words, don't worry if you end up wanting to be married. It's not a sin to be married. Uh, And then he goes on to say, if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. So he really overstating the case that, look, my opinion is it's better to be single. But I really want to be clear here. If you get married, 
it's not a bad thing. It's not a sin. It's not wrong. Uh, it really shows you that insight, like we were talking about early, to what the church in Corinth was probably arguing about, that whole, it's better to be married. No, we need to be single and pure. It goes on and on and on. Continuing on with verse 28, he says, Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. And now this verse is going to get into why I believe uh, he was saying it's not, don't don't bother getting married uh, because the end is coming near. And you can kind of see this in this verse. He put, Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as those who have had none, and those who weep as those who did not weep, and those who rejoice as those who did not rejoice, and those who buy as those who did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. And the form of this world is passing away. Once again, we see here Paul asserting that opinion and reasoning why we should be single key words here, opinion, not a command, uh, because the world is coming to an end soon. He, and he goes into this stuff saying, and soon there's going to be a time where those who are married are no longer going to be married. Now, wait, pause right there. What is that? What is he, what is he talking about? Wait, he's getting into the implications of what it's going to be like when we're in heaven. Uh, one of these, geez, how do I put this? Cause I don't, I, this might, kind of shock some people or it may kind of devastate some people but the fact of the matter is is there is no marriage in heaven i know in today's society we see these cards or you know you see these facebook posts and these other things saying oh we'll be back together and married again in heaven and i'm not trying to sound disgenuine and i'm not trying to sound unsympathetic uh losing a loved one is tough and i know that feeling but the words of the Bible are very clear. There will be no marriage in heaven. Uh, and just just to keep kind of going on that, to push the point further, it's not just Paul who's saying this. Jesus also talks about this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 22, uh, 23 through 33. We'll, we'll read it off real quick here. Matthew 22, verse 23 through 33. The verse says, On that day some Sadducees, uh, if you don't know who the Sadducees are, they were similar to the Pharisees, but they did not believe that there was going to be an actual resurrection. Um, totally false, totally wrong. They were wrong, uh, but they did not believe in a resurrection. And you can kind of see that as we go through here. So on that day, some Sadducees came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children... His brother, as next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. So what the, the situation they're laying out here is in these days, it was customary uh, uh, based off of what Moses said, that if a man died and he was married, then his brother would come and, and end up marrying his wife and uh, have children in his brother's place because he had no children. Verse 25 says this. Now, the, these are the Sadducees continuing on. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So also the second, and the third, and all the way down to the seventh. So in other words, they're, they're, they're laying out this crazy possible scenario where a man, well, probably not impossible, but this crazy scenario of, a, of this poor woman who's married to a man, he dies, she goes to the brother, that next guy dies, and continues on seven times. Uh, 
So verse 27, they're, they're, they say this, the, uh, the Sadducees, last of all, the woman died in the resurrection. And remember, they don't believe in a resurrection. So you can almost hear the sarcastic tone in the Sadducees voice here in the resurrection. Therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all married her. So the question is, is when everyone gets to heaven and we're all resurrected and all those wonderful things, who's this woman going to be married to? She had seven husbands because this guy had seven brothers. Is she going to be married to all of them? They're trying to try to catch Jesus, just like the Pharisees do. They're trying to trip him up. This is what Jesus said. And once again, very classic response of Jesus. Verse 29, but Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures, nor the power of God. Once again, that is a slap to the face of these Sadducees because they were so prideful in how much they knew in the word. He says, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, because there's going to be one, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And I'll, and I'll stop right there because we can keep getting deeper on this. But before I continue on uh, to our main passage again, I, I know some people may be devastated by that. Maybe it's the first time you ever heard that. And honestly, I'm not going to claim to, to ever know right now, because I'm still alive, what heaven is like. You know, when, when I die and Jesus takes me to heaven, then I'll I'll be all, I'll, I'll know, I'll know what's going on there. But as of now, I don't know what's going to happen in heaven. So I can only take what the Bible says about it and mentions about it. Trust me, it, it honestly does make me sad to know. Um, and when the first time I heard this, I mean, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not going to be married to my wife in heaven. Like that's crazy. But this is what the Bible says. And I place my trust in that. And I also place my trust in knowing that whatever heaven is going to be like, whatever it's going to be like, it's going to be far beyond my imagination. And it's going to be so much better than I could have possibly imagined on earth where that won't be a thing. I do personally believe that we'll be able to recognize each other in heaven. I do personally believe that we will know those types of things. We're not just going to be wandering around doing nothing. You know, we're going to, I, I, I really have a strong feeling we're going to recognize these things because the Bible gives these implications. Obviously, the disciples knew who Jesus was after he resurrected. He had a form. He looked like himself in, in a way. You got to go through those scriptures. They kind of word things a little bit funny, but they overall, they recognized who Jesus was. So I truly believe it's going to be like that when we get our resurrected bodies. Uh, we're we're going to look similar to how we look now, just really perfect instead, you know, no, no sin, no sin to be covered in these bodies. Anyways, I digress on. We're going to pick it back up on verse 32 in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, getting back onto our main verse. I'm trying not to do too many sidebars with this. So verse 32 in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul continues on and says, but I want you to be free from concern. The one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife and his interests are divided. So in other words, he's saying, uh, you know, if you're if you're married, you, you you have a responsibility to your wife to take care of her, to be there for her, to please her. Same thing, wife to the husband. And that cuts out 
time that you could be doing, pursuing the, the desires of God or pursuing, pursuing things that may please the Lord. But Paul contrasts that saying, if you're single, you, you got all the time in the world. You got no responsibilities to anybody except for God. You don't have a wife or a husband to be responsible to. That was kind of his point there. Verse 33, continuing on, um, sorry, verse 34, continuing on, he says, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin who is concerned about the things of the Lord, uh, she may be holy she may be holy both in body and spirit, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. So Paul just flips script right there. Verse 35, this I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you. In other words, he's saying, I'm saying this because I think this is a good thing, uh, but I'm not putting a restraint upon you. I'm not saying don't get married if that's what you want. He, he, he keeps doing this back and forth, you see, because, you know, Paul is such a, like I said, I truly see it in his writing. He's such a proponent of staying single, but he wants to be clear, like, look, you don't have to stay single, though. It's not a sin. I like being single. I think it's better to be single. But if you want to get married, it's not wrong. It's not bad. It's okay. It's good. It's not a sin. <laughs> Continuing on, he says, but to promote he says he doesn't want to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Essentially saying what we all just said. He really believes if you're single, then this means that you won't be disturbed in your devotion to God. You have 100% of your attention focused on God, no matter what you're doing. You don't have to divide your interests up. All right, and now we're about to get into verses 36 through 38. And before we do... Uh, I, I do want to lay a little context out here. Once again, you know me, uh, but it's really important here that these this clump of verses, 36 through 38, is really a highly debated topic on what it's actually referring to. Uh, we're pretty solid in the Greek. Scholars are very solid on what the words are in Greek, where the, I guess you would say where the challenge is, is what is the Greek actually saying here? Like, what's the meaning that we can take from this today? How do we apply this in our modern words or a modern vernacular? Uh, so you're going to see some translations say different things. That's why I didn't want to just dive right in there because you may be following along in your Bible and go, whoa, Tim, like what, what Bible are you reading? This is way different than the one I have. Uh, so essentially the two views are this, and I'll quickly summarize it. One, some believe this passage is referring to a father-daughter relationship and no, nothing gross or anything like that. Just like a nice, loving father-daughter relationship. Uh, and some others believe this is referring to a fiancé relationship in like, say, an arranged marriage or betrothal or I don't even know if I said that word right. <laughs> but that, that those are the two points that you'll typically see. Uh, personally, I read from the NASB whenever I do my studying. Uh, many... Many scholars that are way smarter than me in Greek and Hebrew, you know, constantly point to the NASB as probably, and personally, I have the NASB 1995 edition. It's kind of important. Um, but many scholars will point to that as one of the most accurate word-for-word -word translations out of the Greek and Hebrew into English, uh, modern English today. Uh, so I, that's what I use for my studying. Uh, now, before you go off and you go running by an NASB or you think your NIV or whatever Bible you're using is useless, don't. 
I'm, I am not a Bible snob. I will constantly say the best Bible to read is the one that's in your hand right now. But there are different levels of scholarship. You know, like I said, the NASB, the ESV, the King James, the New King James, always up there when it comes to word-for-word accuracy. And then you have other Bibles such as the NIV, the NLT. Those are more so considered what people call thought-for-thought Bibles. They don't say the exact Greek and Hebrew words, but instead they want to try to capture what the message was, what the main point of the message was. Good for reading, uh, not so much for studying, but you still can study off of it and get the general gist of what's going on. They're very accurate to that. Uh, And then you have, and these are some Bibles that I would say just don't even read because they're not good. I've I've watched many videos and I've read many commentaries uh, pretty much saying that these I'm quoting here with my fingers, translations are not translations. These are paraphrases at best. They're probably more so commentary. Do not read the Passion Translation. Do not read the Message Bible. Um, Anybody, if you walked into a seminary with one of those Bibles, they would laugh you out of there. So do not read any of those uh, unless you're just really curious on what to say. I, I would just personally say stay away from them. Uh, for the most part, I believe both of them, I know the passion is, but I believe both of them are only translated by one person. And there's a lot of red flags that get raised when only one person's involved in the translation process. Normally, uh, most of your modern Bibles today, when they go to revise them or they go to write them they're and they're looking at these ancient Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, they all are kind of checking each other for the most part and really dumbing it down, but they're pretty much checking each other. So that way you can't insert your own viewpoints and your opinions. When it's only one person, you are in extreme disposition to insert your own views in this. Anyways, digressing on from that. Uh, back to our main subject here, verses 36 through 38, uh, really it goes through verse 40, but it's viewed two different ways depending on the translation, either a father-daughter relationship or the fiancé betrothal arranged marriage relationship. But no matter what, keep this in mind, number one, the Greek words are the same that they're being translated from. It's just the meaning that is being debated of what these words mean. And you'll see as we continue and read on. And number two, the meaning of the message is still the same, regardless of how you read it that way. So I just wanted to make that clear, probably went a little bit longer than I should. So picking it right up, verse 36, it says, but if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly towards his his virgin daughter. Now, right there, he's saying, in other words, if any man thinks he's not doing what's right, by his daughter. Uh, And I also want to add there that the word daughter is added in there. Uh, That is not part of the original language. The only word used in the original language right here is virgin. Uh, If you read the ESV, I believe it translates it acting unbecomingly towards his fiance or his betrothed. Um, Once again, (laughs) it just depends. The only word that's present there is the word virgin. So think about it this way. If you end up reading verse 36 and it says, but if a man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin, and if it must be so, let him do as he wishes. It leaves a lot of like his virgin what? His virgin daughter? His his virgin woman that he's about to marry? Like what, what is he talking about? So that's what the translators are going off of. All right, continuing on. Try not to get sidetracked on that anymore. 
But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, or in other words, when she is of proper age to marry, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. Or in other words, it's not a sin to let your daughter get married. Or if you're reading the other translation, it's not a sin if you want to marry your fiance. Verse 37, but he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So little key note, and I know I wasn't going to go off on it, but this one's really hard to interpret for modern days for a few reasons. Uh, One, because this type of thing, no matter which translation you're reading, just doesn't happen anymore. If it's the father-daughter one, It doesn't happen anymore because typically when your daughter gets married and she finds someone she wants to get married, she may seek after her father's blessing. But if the father says no, for the most part, she, she, at least in American society, she's just going to go ahead and get married anyways. (laughs) Um, But in these days, the father had a real say in who was his daughter was going to marry, you know, even to the point of arranged marriages. And that gets on to the point if you're reading the other translation that talks about being a fiance He's referring to, you know, an arranged marriage. Uh, He's saying that if you decide to marry her, you're not doing wrong. But if you decide to go ahead and not marry her, and this is one of the main proponents right here, but has authority over his own will. In other words, he is able to control sexual desires and he doesn't really want to marry her, even though he's arranged to her. Uh, He will go ahead and, you know, keep her a virgin and not marry her. Uh, Paul says he will do well at the end of verse uh, 37. But picking it up on verse 38, so then both he who gives his own virgin, and I'm just going to leave it there in case, depending on which translation you're reading, but he who gives his own virgin in marriage does well. So to the daughter, if you, you know, the father typically hands off the daughter in marriage, or if you decide to get married, uh, you do well. It's not a bad thing. Um, and he who does not give her daughter in marriage will do better. Once again, very confusing, depending on which passage you are reading, whether it would be the daughter version or the fiance version. And I'm really getting bogged down on this point, and I did not want to do that, but I'm just afraid that, uh, you know, it could be confusing. At the end of the day, these things are just not that common anymore. Arranged marriages or fathers having a legitimate say in who his daughter is going to marry. Uh, So it's kind of hard to translate in today's words. But the core of the meaning is this. If you want to get, it's what we've been saying all along. If you want to get married, it's not a bad thing. It's not a sin. If you don't want to get married and you want to stay single the rest of your life, because you're free of sexual desires or you may not want to have sexual desires, that is fine. It's okay. It's not wrong. In verse 39, he says, A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to marry whom she wishes, only in the Lord. And this gets into the whole point of being single if you were already widowed or a widower. Uh, it goes back to our vows, till death do you part. Uh, we didn't really talk about it too much in the divorce thing because it's not really divorce. But if you were married by the Bible, if you were married and your husband or wife dies, you are no longer bound by that marriage and you are free to remarry. 
And Paul goes on to say, talk about that. He says, but in verse 40, once again, in my own opinion, in Paul's opinion, what do you think he's going to say? He's going to say, she is happier if she remains as she is, or in other words, single. And then he goes to say, and I think that I also have the spirit of God. Paul, like I said, was very, you can call this a gift. He was, maybe he had an extreme gift from God to where he was able to not have any sexual desires and he was able to remain single. Or you can say through the willpower that he gained through Christ Jesus, he was able to suppress that to a point where he no longer had it anymore. It could have been a snap of the finger thing, or it could have been an overtime thing. But regardless, you obviously, Paul has a very strong disposition to staying single. But he wants to make clear that it's his opinion, and being married is not our own thing. I sound like a broken record on this one. Okay, so all of uh, pretty much all of that in verse 36 through 40, like I said, we spent so much time there. Oh my gosh, I hope you're still listening. And if you are, thank you for putting up with that. Uh, I just really had to go over that. But I want to quote to you one more thing and from there, uh, and this is from Matthew Henry, because I really think he summarized it the best. And mind you, Matthew Henry has the father-daughter view in mind. Uh, he is a commentator, Matthew Henry, from the 1600s. Uh, and he has an amazing commentary, actually, on the entire Bible. And for the most part, I think if you go to either Bible Gateway and Bible Hub, they have that commentary for free in many passages. I know for a fact Bible Hub does, BibleHub.com. They have his entire commentary on there for every single verse pretty much in the passage. It is, uh, and I refer back to him a lot in my study. So if you ever wanted to check out someone from the 1600s and what he said about the Bible, Matthew Henry is your guy. Continuing on, I I really want to quote, though, what he says in verses 36 through 40, because it pretty much summarizes everything I said in like 1,000 words that I just used, uh, and he condenses it to a few sentences. Uh, This is what he has to say on 36 through 40. The apostle is thought to give advice here about the disposal of children in marriage. In this view, the general meaning is plain. Children should seek and follow the directions of their parents as to marriage, and parents should consult their children's wishes, and not reckon they have the power to do with them and to dictate just as they please without reason. The whole is closed with advice to widows. Second marriages are not unlawful, so that it is kept in mind to marry in the Lord. In our choice of relations and change of conditions, we should always be guided by the fear of God and the laws of God and act in dependence on the providence of God. If you don't know what the providence of God, it's the, you know, how God provides. Uh, It plays a lot into the sovereignty. Anyways, continuing on with what he said, change of condition ought only be made after careful consideration and on probable grounds that it will be to advantage in our spiritual concerns. So once again, not to get too bogged down on it, he makes it very clear in that passage. I'm just going to go ahead and leave it at that so we can move on. So one of the last passages I want to leave on, and yes, we are we are close to the end here. I want to leave on what Jesus had to say on this topic of singleness. Because pretty much everything that Paul has ever taught on you know, you can refer back to something that Jesus said. It's like Jesus says it, and then Paul kind of expounds on it. 
So if you remember the last two episodes that we did, the one on marriage and the one on divorce, we spent a lot of time in Matthew 19, where Jesus was confronted by Pharisees on the topic of divorce and marriage and all these things because, you know, they love to just divorce. And after Jesus lectured the Pharisees, uh, is where we're going to find ourselves in this passage. The disciples pretty much asked him, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, they pretty much asked him, well, after all those things you said about marriage and divorce, Jesus, it sounds like it's uh, way better to just not get married. <laughs> and Jesus comes back with, uh, once again, paraphrased, well, yeah, actually, that's, that's kind of a real option there. Uh, so you have to remember, uh, just like I said before, and especially in Jewish culture, it was very customary to get married. You just didn't stay single. People just didn't do this unless there was something wrong with you or whatever. You got married. So hearing Jesus on this topic pretty much say in not so many words or not so little words, actually, uh, you know, being single is definitely an option, guys. That must have come as a shock. I can kind of picture their jaws dropping at that point. Anyways, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 19, verses 10 through 12. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it is better to not marry. But he said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. Eunuch, if if you never heard that word before, it's... There's a few different meanings depending on how you look it up. Essentially, it could be someone who was born physically unable to perform sexual acts because their sexual organs just didn't work. Or uh, in Far Eastern culture, it was actually a thing where eunuchs were had their sexual organs removed. And these were men. They had their sexual organs removed, chopped off, and typically for the reasoning because they would be put in charge of maybe like a harem. They would be their guard or they would guard women's living quarters or anything like that. Uh, So that way, whoever was protecting those women, uh, they didn't have to worry about their guards going in and having sex with them, making babies or anything like that. So they would typically chop, you know, what off. Uh, uh, Sadly, you know, that was a way. Jesus, that's what Jesus is referring to when he says eunuch. Continuing on, uh, I'll go ahead and pick, pick up back on verse 12. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, or in other words, it could have been natural. They just did not have the ability to have sex. They couldn't physically do it. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, just like we talked about, physically doing that act of cutting off their genitalia. And there are also eunuchs, Jesus said, who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, stop right there. Uh, I don't want you to think that Jesus uh, was specifically saying here that you should chop, you know what, off. You should not castrate yourselves. I guess that's the appropriate term right there. Jesus is not saying that there are people that you should castrate yourself for the kingdom of heaven. That's actually covered in the Bible. Go into the book of Colossians and it talks about that. These people who would physically abuse themselves and that included to try to make them more holy. That's 
totally anti-biblical. That is not what Jesus is saying here. Do not take that out of context at all. What he's saying here, who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about what Paul referred back to extreme willpower, essentially. They did not want to have that desire because they wanted to please God. And they were actually successful through the power of the Holy Spirit of keeping themselves out of, uh, pretty much keeping themselves abstinent. So that way they can totally dedicate their lives to the Lord and suppressing and pretty much eliminating, because I don't think suppressing is a good word for it, but pretty much eliminating that desire to have sexual relationships. Continuing on, uh, Jesus says there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He, and this is key right here, he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Or in other words, he's saying, look, if you are born with this ability to to do this, and this is something that you desire, you want to stay single, you want to be single, you don't have to get married. You can stay single. Once again, this is probably a jaw-dropping statement to the disciples. Like I said, Jewish culture, everybody got married. Ancient culture, really, everybody got married. Uh, Now, one thing I want to kind of point out here, and this really shows the the sinful state that disciples were still in, even though they were following Jesus. And I'm not acting like I'm holier than now. I, I still have stuff that I struggle with. But this really shows the effect of, of, of how lost in sin the disciples were, especially before the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because if you didn't know, the Holy Spirit is what baptizes you. The Holy Spirit is what changes you. It, it, it creates that change. You lose those desires for sin that you have before. They, the disciples, they didn't have the full-on Holy Spirit yet. That didn't come until the day of Pentecost after Jesus had already ascended back to heaven after his resurrection. And I just wanted to point out, look, look at the way the disciples, remember I said before they were kind of jokingly, like in my mind at least, it sounds like they're jokingly saying if a relationship with a man with his wife is like this, in other words, if I can't divorce my wife whenever I want and I have to stay with her my whole life, it's just better to not even get married. That's the way they were kind of putting it. You know, they, 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 these people thought it was okay to treat women like garbage in their days. Women were, and I, I kind of went on it when we were talking about divorce, but women in Jewish culture in this time really were treated like trash. You could divorce your wife for whatever reason you wanted. Like I said, even in, in that Hillel school, they were, te- you know, they, 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 the debate came up of you can even divorce your wife if she burns your food. I mean, that's crazy. That's insane. Uh, but yet this was the viewpoint that they had. Once again, this is why context is so important when you're reading through the Bible. Uh, the disciples just really had a horrible disposition on what marriage actually looked like to the point where they're like, I'd rather just get, you know, not get married at all if I if I can't ever divorce my wife. And then when Jesus drops that bomb once again is saying, well, this is actually an option here. You can stay single. You don't have to get married. It, it's kind of a jaw dropping moment. Oh, but anyways, all right. I think we're going to be closing out here. We're getting towards the end. Uh, I know I did a lot of sidetracks in this episode, this is a different topic. This is something that's just not talked about a lot. Uh, once again, you see seminars, you see blogs, you see podcasts that are talking about marriage. I wish they do it more in church. Uh, and, and 
you never really hear about biblical singleness. And I'm sure there's resources out there. I'm not saying there aren't. Uh, I personally didn't read many of them because I really wanted to keep this biblically minded. I didn't want anything really outside influencing me too much. But the topic of singleness is, is a real thing. There are people who are blessed by God with the ability to not have sexual desires, and they'd rather stay single and dedicate their whole life to the Lord. That is perfectly fine. It's also perfectly fine if you want to get married and have companionship because like we talked about in the episode about marriage, if you want to get married, it's an amazing thing. You get to do it for companionship, sexual relationship, and most of all, most important all, it's a reflection of Christ in the church. But not all people are like that. Just like Jesus says, he who can accept it, go ahead and accept it. Once again, paraphrasing that, but that that's the point of it. If you want to stay single, and you have that ability to be free or the willpower given by God to be free of sexual desire, by all means, do it. It is a good thing that you are seeking after. That's the words that Apostle Paul, I really believe, was trying to get through and expound upon. Uh, And it echoes the words of Jesus. So I hope this brings some clarity and understanding to this topic. If you have any questions, comments, anything, please drop them in my Facebook. Uh, I believe now what? Go ahead and message me on there. Uh, You know, I've never actually tried to do that to myself, so I don't know how that works. But you could send me a message. Send me a message on I believe now what? And, uh, you know, I'll try to answer some of these questions on air if there ever comes up. Anyways. You can also do it on Twitter, by the way. I do have a Twitter. That's probably the easiest way. So you can go on there. Facebook one's a little bit more popular than the Twitter one. I don't advertise it as much, but I do have a Twitter. So if you have anything that you want to ask, by all means, ask it. I'm just rambling on at this point. I hope this episode was good for you. I hope you learned something. Uh, And beyond that, I just hope you have a wonderful and blessed day. And thank you for listening.